Lastly, I do want to invite up Pastor Allison as she has a word she wants to share with us. Would you help me in uh, welcoming her as she comes up here? Thank you, Mike. As Mike mentioned, my name is Allison. I'm the executive pastor here. So happy to be here with you this morning. So we're currently in a sermon series called Life of Worth. We've been diving into some of life's biggest questions, questions like, what matters most? What is a good life? What kind of life is worthy of our humanity? Two weeks ago, I shared a bit about how some of the teachings from the book of Matthew can help us to answer these questions. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon yet, I recommend uh, giving it a listen. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Um, But today, I want to talk a bit about how some other parts of the Bible can help guide us in how to live a life of worth. Now, a word of warning before I get into it. Uh, During this sermon, I'm going to be talking about one of the more depressing books in the Bible. Um, But I promise you, I am not going to leave you on a downer. So... Please hang in there with me. All right, now that I've given that warning, I have a question for all of you. So, by show of hands, how many of you own a physical copy of the Bible? Oh wow, that's a lot. Okay, it's more than I expected actually. Um, I have a few, uh, but these days I mostly access different translations of the Bible online. Um, Whether physical or digital, the Bible we know today is presented as a singular book. And this presentation can sometimes make it easy to forget that the Bible is actually a collection of writings that were assembled together. It can make it easy to forget that the various books of the Bible were created during different time periods. They were written by different authors for different purposes, with different perspectives, and using different genres. So one literary form that's included in the Bible is something called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature gets at the heart of the types of questions we are asking during this sermon series. It concerns itself with universal philosophical questions around the meaning of life and how to live well. So examples of the wisdom tradition in the Bible include the books of Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, as well as some of the Psalms, Jesus' parables, and the epistle of James. Now something interesting to me about wisdom literature in the Bible is that these writings do not all agree with each other. Um, While they all address universal philosophical questions, they do not answer them all in the same way. So on the one hand, I find this to be somewhat frustrating. Wouldn't it be nice if there were easy answers to life's biggest questions? But on the other hand, it makes sense, given the way that the Bible operates. Biblical scholar Pete Enns puts it this way. The Bible isn't a book that reflects one point of view. It is a collection of books that records a conversation, even a debate, over time. And biblical wisdom literature is no exception. 
So I don't have time today to get into all the diverse perspectives around wisdom in the Bible. Um, if you're interested, I'd be happy to chat with you about that another time. Um, there's some really interesting stuff to explore, uh, including passages where wisdom is personified as a divine feminine being, uh, referred to as Sophia, who either collaborates with God or is actually an aspect of God's very being. As I said, fascinating stuff. Uh, but today, I want to talk a bit about the book of Ecclesiastes. According to tradition, Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon in his old age. But many biblical scholars would disagree with this attribution and actually consider the author unknown. Ecclesiastes has a narrator named Kohelet. Kohelet is a Hebrew word that means one who gathers. In this case, it is one who gathers for the sake of learning. So in English, it is often translated as teacher or preacher. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the narrator, Kohelet, shares his wisdom about the nature of life. And to be honest, a lot of it can sound pretty depressing. Some wisdom literature takes a more positive bent. Uh, these writings tend to focus on real-world advice on how to live a good and fulfilling life. They often say things along the lines of, follow these teachings and your life will be blessed. An example of this type of writing is the book of Proverbs. But other wisdom literature is far more pessimistic. These writings frequently highlight themes of mortality and are often skeptical about human nature and accomplishments. They often say things like, time will eventually erase you, me, and all that we care about. So make the most of life while you can. <laughs> the book we're looking at today, Ecclesiastes, falls into this second bucket. The JPS Bible commentary sums up Ecclesiastes this way. Kohelet, the speaker in this book, ruminates on what, if anything, has lasting value and how, if at all, God interacts with humankind. Kohelet expresses bewilderment and frustration at life's absurdities and injustices. He grapples with the inequities that pervade the world and the frailty and limitations of human wisdom and righteousness. His awareness of these discomforting facts coexists with a firm belief in God's rule and God's fundamental justice. And he looks for ways to define a meaningful life in a world where so much is senseless. You may be wondering why a book like this that seems you know, so pessimistic is even included in the Bible. Um, and you would not be the first to ask this question. The book of Ecclesiastes has actually been quite controversial throughout Jewish and Christian history. When the Hebrew Bible and later the New Testament were being compiled, there was considerable debate about whether or not Ecclesiastes should be included. And there's still a wide variety of opinions on how we should understand this book. Though it may seem pessimistic, there is a lot about Ecclesiastes that really appeals to me. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that I'm a generally miserable or pessimistic person. 
Um, I'm really not. Uh, my life is filled with so much love and beauty and joy, and I have so much gratitude for all of these good things. But there are aspects of my life, both past and present, that are just incredibly hard. Losing my mom to cancer at the end of 2021 and living each day since then without her support in my life is really hard. And being diagnosed with endometriosis and managing life with chronic pain is also really hard. And there are a number of other stories I could tell you about challenging times in my life, but this is not about me. Um, it's about all of us. At some point in your life or in the life of someone close to you, something incredibly hard will happen. Maybe it's happened to you already. Personally, I find it helpful that there is a book in the Bible that acknowledges how hard life can be that recognizes how senseless, random, and absurd it can feel at times, that owns the reality that as humans, we are limited and so much is out of our control. Kohelet describes this sense of powerlessness or futility that we can sometimes feel with a powerful image of a person chasing wind. Can you picture that? Can you imagine what it would be like and feel like to try to chase after the wind and try to capture it in your hands? Utterly impossible and incredibly frustrating. And life can feel like that at times. Thinking about these realities, our limitations and mortality, of suffering and injustice in the world, and of the sometimes unpredictable nature of life can be depressing for sure. But I find the alternative, denying them, refusing to name them, to be far, far worse. When we do this, it is all too easy to become disconnected from ourselves, from others, and from God. And it's all too easy to begin to believe all sorts of lies. Lies like, there must be something wrong with me. I must have done something to deserve this. Or God must not be on my side. Acknowledging hard truths about the nature of life and the world can be incredibly painful, but in doing so, we have the opportunity to free ourselves and others from blame and condemnation and to pave the way for greater compassion and ultimately, ultimately hope to break through. One of the most famous parts of Ecclesiastes is chapter three, verses one through eight. You've probably heard it before. It goes like this. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, 
a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is a beautiful piece of poetry. And I believe that one of the reasons it resonates so much is because it captures some deep truths about the nature of our lives. One truth it captures is that everything happens. This is a phrase I've borrowed from Kate Bowler. Bowler is an author and professor at Duke Divinity School. One of Bowler's research topics was the American prosperity gospel, the belief that God guarantees health, wealth, and happiness. After writing a book on this topic, in a sort of tragic, ironic twist, Bowler was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four cancer at the age of 35. While she was in treatment, and not expected to survive, uh, she wrote two memoirs about how her perspectives on life and faith had been fundamentally changed as a result of her diagnosis. Bowler discovered that life is so beautiful and life is so hard for everyone. Ecclesiastes 3 verses one through eight tells us Everything happens in life. Our short time on earth is filled with ups and downs, twists and turns. It is filled with weeping and laughing and everything in between. It is beautiful and hard. And this is what Bowler explores on her podcast, Everything Happens. Bowler interviews lots of interesting, insightful people and talks with them about what life looks like in the after. Once we know that life is so beautiful and life is so hard, once we know that everything happens, what does it look like to live with that knowledge? If these are questions you have, I'd recommend giving this podcast a listen. I know that it's been really helpful to me personally. A second truth that Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8 captures is that more often than not, we cannot control the timing of life's seasons. We cannot control when fall turns to winter or when winter turns to spring. And oftentimes, we cannot control when dancing turns to mourning or when mourning turns to dancing. This can be hard to accept. Too often, rather than honoring this reality, we try to live in a state of endless summer. Have you heard of that movie? The Endless Summer was a surfing documentary created in the 1960s. The movie followed a couple of surfers from California as they traveled to different surf spots around the world. The premise was that if you had enough time and enough money, it would be possible to follow summer up and down the world. You could travel from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere and back again, making it endless summer. Now, 
I'm not saying that any of us are literally chasing summer like the surfers in this movie, but we can do this emotionally. We can pursue happiness to the point of toxic positivity. And it's no wonder that we do. Our culture inundates us with messages like good vibes only. I'm not sure if you knew this, but there are like a shocking number of products out there that promote this message. <laughs> so now I said this two weeks ago, and I'll say it again, I am not anti-happiness. <laughs> I do not wish myself or any of you a life of misery. Please, please be as happy as you can. But if you're not happy right now, or you're not happy all the time, that's okay, too. You're not failing at life, and you are no less beloved. In addition to the impacts of cultural messaging, there is another reason why we often find ourselves pursuing the emotional version of an endless summer. If we acknowledge that no matter what we do, seasons will come and go, it means that we have to face our limitations. And facing our limitations is often very uncomfortable. Parker Palmer, a Quaker author and educator, puts it this way. If we accept the notion that our lives are dependent on an inexorable cycle of seasons, on a play of powers that we can conspire with but never control, we run headlong into a culture which insists, against all evidence, that we can make whatever kind of life we want whenever we want it. Deeper still, we run headlong into our own egos, which want desperately to believe that we are always in charge. Confronting seductive cultural narratives and our own egos can be incredibly challenging. But the author of Ecclesiastes says that we should not be surprised by this. The author points out that gaining wisdom can be a painful process. In the conclusion of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verse 11, the author compares the experience of gaining wisdom to that of a sheep being prodded by a goad stick. If you haven't heard of a goad stick before, I certainly hadn't. Um, it's a stick with nails on the end that a shepherd would use to prod the sheep along. So temporarily painful, but not ultimately harmful. And that is what gaining wisdom is like. <laughs> what, sorry. Um, okay. It is maddening and terrifying at times to realize how much is outside our control, but there's also freedom in recognizing and accepting our limitations. There are things we can change and things we cannot change. And in the words of the famous serenity prayer, the wisdom is in knowing the difference. Parker Palmer, the Quaker author I mentioned earlier, believes that Nature's seasons have much to teach us. According to Palmer, each of us has a metaphor for how we think about life. We may not always be consciously aware of these metaphors, but they shape how we view and experience the world. Common metaphors include 
Life is a battlefield. Life is a game of chance. Life is a marathon. Life is a journey. Life is a quest. Parker believes that a more helpful metaphor is life is the eternal cycle of the seasons. Parker says this, seasons is a wise metaphor for the movement of life, I think. It suggests that life is neither a battlefield nor a game of chance, but something infinitely richer, more promising, more real. The notion that our lives are like the eternal cycle of the seasons does not deny the struggle or the joy, the loss or the gain, the darkness or the light, but encourage us to embrace it all and to find in all of it opportunities for growth. So whether or not you buy into Parker's ideas around life metaphors, I do recommend that you give his essays on the four seasons a read. So Palmer wrote, four essays, one for each of the seasons, and they're incredibly beautiful. They explore what the seasons of the earth can teach us about the seasons of our lives. In Parker's framework, there's no hierarchy to the seasons. There are not good seasons and bad seasons, better seasons and worse seasons. Instead, every season has something to teach us. Every season can help us to develop and grow. I won't tell you everything Palmer says about the seasons, but I'll give you a little taste. So according to Palmer, autumn reminds us that the appearances of decline often mask the reality that new seeds are being scattered. Autumn also teaches us that things like diminishment and beauty, darkness and light, Death and life often coexist. Winter reminds us that times of dormancy and deep rest are essential to all living things. Winter also gives us the gift of utter clarity. Spring reminds us that out of muddy messes, the conditions for rebirth are being created. Spring also teaches us about tenacity, hope, and the power of small beginnings. And finally, summer reminds us that death does not have the last word. Summer also prompts us to practice gratitude and generous giving. Like Palmer, I have found that there is great value embracing all the seasons of life. Now, by embracing, I don't mean that we have to like or enjoy every season. We definitely do not have to force ourselves to enjoy things like pain, sorrow, fear, anger, and confusion. But we can acknowledge our emotions, whatever they may be, instead of suppressing or judging them. We can make room for complexity and paradox, for conflicting feelings to exist side by side. During challenging seasons, we can open ourselves up to receiving unexpected gifts without forcing ourselves to find silver linings. And during joyful seasons, we can ground ourselves in the present, even while knowing that we never know what tomorrow will bring. 
Embracing the cycle of the seasons gives us the awareness that no singular season will last forever. This reality can help us to persevere through times of trouble and to savor times of peace, to open our eyes to the aspects of our lives and of the world that are hard and to the parts that are beautiful. The book of Ecclesiastes ends with some helpful advice. First, the author advises that we should actively pursue wisdom, meaning answers to life's biggest questions, but cautions that we should not let it become an obsession. There are important perspectives to consider, but at the same time, no matter how hard we try, we will never be able to unravel all of life's mysteries. Second, the author of Ecclesiastes advises that we aim to seek God in every season of life. During seasons when this feels challenging, I have found that truth, goodness, and beauty can be helpful guides. Catholic theologians sometimes talk about God through the lens of truth, goodness, and beauty. They don't just say God is truthful, good, and beautiful. Instead, they say God is truth. God is goodness. God is beauty. According to this view, to seek what is true, what is good, or what is beautiful is to seek God. And because God is always with us, truth, goodness, and beauty are always seeking to break through in our lives. So I'd like to invite the worship team back up here. And as I do, I will close by praying for us. God, who is truth and goodness and beauty, help us to recognize your presence in our midst. God, who is with us in summer, autumn, winter, and spring, help us to embrace the cycle of the seasons. God, who weeps and laughs and mourns and dances with us, help us to experience your companionship more deeply. May we experience your unconditional love in new and surprising ways today, tomorrow, and in the weeks to come. Amen.